listening to Cooper Talk. Welcome to Cooper Talk. I'm your host, Steve Cooper, and remember, I'm only as hip as my guest. i got to tell you something, people. My guest today, it was, it, was, it was six and a half years ago, and I was living in Burbank, and I was walking back from one of my uh, favorite watering holes, and Joanne was making chili, and I said, you know what? I want to get onion rings. So I stopped at the wonderful Foster Freeze, which is right there on the corner of Angelino and Glen Oaks, and I see this gentleman sitting there with his kids, too, I believe. I mean, he, 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 it's been so long, and his kids are older now. And I'm like, man, you look so familiar. You're an actor. And we started talking, and he did my show, and we've kept on touching on Facebook. And he's doing my show today, and my guest is Eric Palladino. How you doing, Eric? Good. How you doing, Steve? Now, you're at the Dream House. Now, get me right. You built a house a few years ago, right? I did. I uh, bought this house in uh, Southern California, in the foothills of Southern California, uh, Angeles Crest Mountain Range, uh, in 2017, and it was probably the worst house on the street here. Uh, people spoke of it very lowly, not highly, <laughs> and uh, and they said they just it, it used to be a pretty nice house back in the 50s and 60s, I suppose. But um, and the guy actually, the original owner was this guy named George Duning who uh, I probably shouldn't say that because people can look it up now, right? Anyway, but uh, not the who the hell's talking, a 53-year-old actor. Anyway, <laughs> I don't know what's talking, a 53-year-old, that would be ridiculous. You got better things to do, believe me. Uh, but this guy, George Duning, was this um, old um, this composer, uh, film composer. In the 50s and 60s, he composed From Here to Eternity, um, uh, uh, Oh, God, what's the other one that he did? Uh, 310 to Yuma. And, you know, he's a pretty prestigious composer. And he uh, he's, and this was his house that he built back in the 50s. So it was apparently a house that a lot of, you know, people would come to and hang out at. And his guest house, he would play piano out of. And everybody in the neighborhood would hear the music coming out of there. But it went kind of, uh, you know, over the years, it, people didn't take care of it. And it was just a real, real, uh, you know, uh, gut job that I needed to do down to the studs. So I spent about 10 months of my life uh, working on it, GC in it. Um, I'm the son of a heating contractor in New York, uh, boilers and burners mostly, but my wife's grandfather, um, who passed away six months ago, 65, I mean, 95 years old, um, he was a general contractor in Los Angeles for 50 years. So he was in his 90s when I bought it, but he guided us through everything and told me what to do, what not to do, and, and really helped out. And uh, and so we uh, we kind of created this you know, uh, house that was, we kind of went with that, what the original footprint was and then added only about 700 square feet, but we added kind of a main room that kind of uh, embodied that period of the fifties with a real, um, you know, gable roof and, and, uh, and kind of mimic the guest house that he used to play in with the same style. So um, I'm really happy with the, the finished results. I hope to get to be able to live here for many, many years to come. Now, was it hard to do the building work when you know you have to might have an audition come up or a role come up? Or yeah, like that? I mean, you know, I mean, I GC'd it. So GC is like a director, you know what I mean, on a film set. You know, I'm not, I, the, G, the director doesn't do the, operate the sound. The director doesn't, you know, do the art, you know, the, the, he doesn't do the art department's job or the actor's job. He oversees everybody. So I just oversaw, you know, all the different trades guys. That's basically what it was. And then, you know, the design my wife and I did on our own we didn't hire an architect or anything like that. Um, you know, so it was stressful. There, there was a se- series I was doing called Six on History Channel 
um, in the middle of it. And, uh, and I remember, uh, the, the day I met the creator of the show, I had to, I got, I got the audition, like, you know, whatever on a Monday and, and they cast it fast. And I flew up to uh, Toronto on a Thursday and, uh, the day I met the creator, you know, I went into his office and I played the new captain of this baby seal team six. Uh, and, and these guys had already been working together for a year. I actually have a great nightmare story from that show. If you want to hear it, but tell me right after um, this. Uh, but I, I met with him in his office, you know, and the show's been on for a year and, and he's like, I'm oh, really glad to have you on board. And I'm like, oh, I'm so glad to be here. Really excited. You know, and it, you know, it was an important role for the show and, had the show been around for a little bit, I think it would have been a nice series regular gig too. At that point, it was just a recurring for five episodes, the last part of the season, because they recast the role of the captain for whatever reason. And uh, and I'm sitting there in the office with him. And as I'm sitting there in the office with him, one of my uh, one of my guys is is like calling me, uh, and I you know he in the middle of and, and blowing me up. It wasn't like. It wasn't like, hey, could you get back to me? It was like, hey, I really need an answer on this. I need an answer on this. And he, and I'm talking to the guy about the show, and I'm looking down at my phone, which I've, I've never done in my life. Right. The guy thought I was a total asshole. <laughs> you, know what I mean? you know, like, I'm like, well, he was a fucking actor. He's in here texting while he's meeting with me, you know? Like, you know? And, uh, and I'm looking down at the phone and looking up at him and trying. And I, finally, I just said to him, I'm sorry, man. I'm in the middle of, like, a major construction site at my at this house that, I mean, we weren't living in it. It was unlivable at the time. It was just a, I kept on thinking the whole time I was doing it, this is either the, the smartest thing I've ever done with the money that I've earned over, you know, 25 years of acting or the dumbest thing I've ever done in my life. Um, because there were most, you know, anybody that's gone through that kind of construction, especially when you're not a professional, you, you know, uh, yeah, it'd be shit. I got a friend of mine that's doing that kind of construction now that sort of is a professional and it's his own house and he's complaining and freaking out about how much money he's spending. Um, obviously a very blessed and I'm grateful that I was in the position to do it, but I was literally putting the 30 years I've been wor- working actor into kind of one thing, which, you know, is, is usually a pretty dumb thing to do. But I think with real estate in Los Angeles, it's, a, it's, you know, you're guaranteed to, if you could hold on to it through whatever pain comes, you're pretty much guaranteed to kind of Teflon, you know, to, uh, get some of your money back. So tell me, tell me the uh, nightmare story. Well, the nightmare story was, so I get there on a Thursday and on a Friday, I meet, you know, met with him. I do wardrobe on a Friday and, uh, and the following year I'd done a season on that show suits. Uh, I played Kevin Miller on suits where I, I, uh, you know, I'm in jail with the other lead guy cause that shows a two hander. And, uh, um, uh, and, and I, I look at my call sheet. So actors, you know, I, you get a call sheet that tells you, you know, when you're working next. And so my first day was on a Monday. It was, you know, over the weekend. I, I'm in Toronto and I look at the call sheet on Friday. They hand it to me that same day that I met with the creator. And they say, oh, you're only in one scene on, on Monday. And I'm like, okay, cool. And I, I look at the scene and it says scene number seven. It tells you the scene. And, uh, you know, and I'm like, oh, and I look up the script and I go, oh, okay. It's a small, quick scene. Like I'm in, I got like three lines. So I'm like, great. I'm going to enjoy myself this weekend. And I met some friends in Toronto because I'd shot there the year earlier. I had a, you know, a few friends that I became friends with. Went out to dinner, relaxed, had a good time, you know, you know, away from the kids too. You know, it's always nice. I had three kids at the time. And, uh, you know, and I, I mean, three kids now. It was my daughter had just been born right around there. She was about a year old now. And, uh, and 
Sunday night, I looked down at the call sheet again. It's like 10 o'clock at night, getting ready to go to bed. I'm the first scene up in the morning, 6 o'clock in the morning. And I look at the uh, call sheet, and, I, and I'm like, does that say 8, scene 8? And I read it wrong because I wasn't wearing my glasses. <laughs> and it wasn't scene 7. It was scene 8. And in scene 8 was my introduction, like my major introduction to my character, which is this four-page basic monologue <laughs> in front of the whole show. I mean, like in front of all the series regulars, all the SEAL Team 6 guys, and then not just them, like 35 extras behind them. <laughs> so it's it's like every actor's and every person's nightmare. It's like almost like, you know, the Brady Bunch episode where you're standing up in front of everybody naked, you know what I mean, in front of 50. So, I, you know, there's like 100 crew people and 50 extras and, you know, like, and, and then the, the series. And, I, and I'm like, how am I going to, memorize all this from 10 o'clock to six. I usually need three days for that kind of material. Three days is like the minimum um, when it's that kind of stuff. And, you know, and it wasn't normal dialogue. It was like, we're going to go four clicks to Baku, Azerbaijan. we got to go up to, you know, 16. You know, like, I mean, it was all this technical jargon and it wasn't like, you know, I could feed off somebody else's line that gives me the line. So it was, so anyway, the next day I show up and I'm up, I was up, I pulled an all-nighter never a good way to study your lines or your dialogue and i show up on set and i say i go right up to one of the main producers i go I, this is a terrible way for me to start on this set in the 30 years i've been doing this i've never been this unprepared in my life so i just want to say i apologize i read the call sheet wrong i made a mistake um i'm going to do the best i can but it's going to be rough I said, but, you know, show me where the set is. I want to get on the set as soon as possible and get comfortable in the space. Um, I got out there and it, 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 you know, I started out pretty good, started out pretty good, you know, but then as, as the dialogue was, you know, coming, the pages were going, started getting a little nervous. Wasn't really in my body. And, uh, and, um, you know, uh, we got through it, but it definitely was rough. And and the other series regulars, I, I they were like, I could tell they were looking at me like, who's this fucking guy? You know, like, <laughs> you know, like cause when I first got there, they were all like, oh yeah, hey Eric, you know, a couple of my new people I knew that were, but like halfway through the day, you know, it was getting a little sketchy. But thankfully, the other, the main guy, the other series regular, um, he, a uh, uh, very nice guy, this guy named Barry, uh, he. Um, he was messing up his dialogue and he had like a third of the or quarter of the dialogue I had. So it made it more okay that I wasn't alone in my, uh, you know, in, in, in my you know, ill preparedness. Um, so, uh, you know, we got through the day, but that was probably one of the worst days I've had on set where it was just like total embarrassment. Uh, what, what is it with you and, um, Military shows. I mean, you're also in the movie U five seven one. You run over there. Is is that something that that do you see a reason why? Do you look at yourself and go, "Hey, I should be a military guy." I mean, because they're over there was a series. I mean, yeah. you know, and then U five seven one, and now this one. What do you think it is that makes them cast you in that kind of role? Um, I think my voice has a lot to do with it. Like my rough, gravelly voice. I sang in hard rock, heavy metal bands for you know you know, from 20 years old to 37. And then I also used to smoke cigarettes back in the day. So I think my gravelly, raspy, deep voice has a lot to do with it. 
Um, I don't, other than that, I, I don't know. I can't explain it. I mean, you know, I get cast in a lot of New York cop roles. That makes sense to me. But the military thing, you know, I, I, I mean, I don't know. I don't, I, I don't know. I never really, I mean, you know, I guess I go back to, you know, um, some actors that, you know, they have a little bit more weight to them. You know what I mean? And I think that maybe I just, you know, as being a New York Italian Armenian guy that, you know, kind of, you know, uh, you know, I, you know, I, I, I was a, you know, I wasn't afraid of getting into fights as a kid and I've been fighting boxing my whole life. And, you know, I don't know, maybe that translates somehow to, you know, being tough or masculine, even though I'm, as I get older, I'm probably the, you know, I'm trying to, you know, like, I just want to go to sleep. Right. <laughs> you know, I just no, want to be left alone, man. No, suits. It's funny. You mentioned <laughs> suits. And my wife always watches everything on TV. That's her thing. And, like, whenever you're on TV, she'll go, hey, Eric Paladino's on. Or if, or if Reed Diamond's on, hey, Reed Diamond's on. Anyone has been on my show. And the suits, though, now, you were on it. And I remember I, I would watch those episodes. But do you think people recognize you more and your popularity grew more because Meghan Markle's on now. Now she's a queen, a, a duchess or whatever. Do you think that's, I mean, have you noticed anything as an actor who's on a show like that? No, no, that show came with a heavy level of uh, popularity. I mean, I remember when I was doing that show, cause you know, you do, I do all these different shows and again, CIS LA, I get recognized a decent amount for, um, you know, ER not as much anymore because it's been so many years. Uh, as and I look so different. You know what I mean? You know, like that that level of connection to ER is kind of waned. Um, but it, it's more like the body of work, or uh, you know what I mean? Like, oh, you look familiar. You must be an actor. You know what I mean? Like, but they don't know from where necessarily. And then as soon as they talk to me about it, they're like, oh, you know, oh yeah, you know that kind of shit happens. Um, um, but I think that like with suits and NCIS LA and um, I mean, really suits in NCIS LA in more recent years um, and Marvelous Mrs. Maisel. Uh, um, I think that those show are real international kind of shows. So it plays and they repeat a lot. You know, I mean, Maisel's its own entity, but, but NCIS LA and suits plays all over the world. And, uh, and they're just really popular shows. I mean, big rating hits, you know, for both those networks. Um, as far as like the Meghan Markle factor now, because I remember like soon as suits started airing, especially when I was in Canada shooting, you know, I was getting recognized a lot from that, you know, uh, pre the whole, you know, Meghan Markle thing. Although I did get some phone calls from like British, uh, newspapers, like the sun and, and like, what's the one that's like their, their version of extra whatever. It's like the BB, I don't know, some BB. I got like a couple different calls at that time asking for interviews and I was like, yeah, man, I did table reads with her. I don't fucking know her. You know what I mean? I have nothing to add to that. She seemed nice. You know what I mean? And she did. She seemed very nice. You know it's very funny. normal. Like, it's so funny. Like, this whole business is very funny in that sense. I've worked with people that, like, 10 years ago, they were fucking nobodies. And then they and then they get, like, a one-hit show after struggling for 20 years. And then people, people put these these images on them and you're like that dude was just a regular dude you know what i mean like yeah, now you think he's like the sexiest man on earth you know, that guy couldn't get a job you know like you know like i mean i don't want to say who but there's a, you know there's a few guys that i know that a few actors that i've worked with over the years that were like just dudes you know maybe cute maybe good looking dudes but now like you're like 
see it. And they're like, they're like really? You know, like, you know, like, and, he, and you know that the dude themselves at home when they're by themselves are like, really? You know, like, you know, I mean, you know, I'm not, you know, like, so it's, the business is funny in that sense. I used to always say to my wife back in the day, I go, you know, like George Clooney, you know, uh, handsome, charismatic, great guy. Um, but I know cast and directors that knew him back in the day and people were like, eh, George Clooney, eh, you know, like, all right, he's all right. You know, like, I mean, literally, and he'll be the first one to admit for years, the guy was, you know, trying to make it happen. He got the one show and a lot of it is luck meeting perseverance. You know what I mean? It's like that cliche, you know, what is, what is, when I, what is it when opportunity? It's, I, well, I don't know. I always say when life gives you lemons, get, make lemonade. You know, there's so many things and that's, you know, but I, I, I try to talk to people about this because I interview a lot of actors and I interview a lot of musicians and all of them just think like it's this glamorous life and, and you sit there and you don't struggle. And I'm like, no, man, they work their asses off. I mean, you know, there's guys, there's a reason why they've been in the business for so long is because they're good. And two, you know, a lot of people get frustrated and leave. But it's a matter of, you know, as an actor, people don't get it. You know, people just think. You know, because living in New Jersey, you know, people don't, don't incorporate a lot of actors. And, and they sit there and they go, oh, you know, I heard that person's a jerk. I'm like, no. I said, you, wait, did, did, did someone tell you this? Did someone, and it's just, it's just funny. Well, the, one of the quotes that I love, I just pulled it up, is uh, one from Thomas Edison. that I just always repeat to myself, our greatest weakness lies in giving up. The most certain way to succeed is always to try just one more time. And that's kind of like the epitome of, what I, what I am and who I am. You know what I mean? I, I just, you know, like to me, it's like, I just keep on going. You know what I mean? Like, and, and really at the end of the day for, for what, what, what I do and I, and I, what I see with my friends that are successful in this business, it's really just that. Cause I've seen a lot of people over the years that are not that talented that got the right show at the right time or not that talented that just kept going and then got the right show at the right time. You know, um, you know, or talented enough, I should say that talented enough, you know, um, and then I have some friends of mine that like I'm in college that I was in school with that are still some of the best actors I've ever met. But just after four or five years of heartbreak, they were like, I can't do this. I'm fucking out. You know it, what I mean? It is, and, a, uh, it is a hard business. It's not, you know, you, you have to be like, you know, like, what's, you know, you, you have to kind of, you know, you have to be like, you know, like. I'm rubber, you're glue, whatever comes out of 60. You know, like you really literally have to like push it away, any of the pain of like rejection and constant working on. I mean, the biggest thing is like you have that muscle of like you work on, like right now, I have an eight page, eight page scene to shoot tomorrow morning for an audition. And it's for a role that I love. And it's for a show that's uh, for a limited series. Uh, and it's really good. Uh, the scripts are great. It's not, it's a new, sh- it's a new, sh- it's not on the air. It's a, when I say a show that I love, a script that I love rather. Um, and I have no doubt that it's going to be great. And it's a good opportunity for me. Um, and all I can do, the only control I have is that I just do my best work, you know, but 97% of the time I won't get the part. 97%, maybe 5% of the time I'll get it. So, um, it's this kind of, you know, this, this, uh, this kind of, you know, it's an, what's the, the, you know, it's a futile effort until it's not, you know what I mean? Until that one gig, 
goes your way. And and in the meantime, I have a nice life. I make you know make a pretty good living, and you know, um, and I don't have to you know I'm not doing what my dad did. I don't have to go in the basements in the Bronx, you know, uh, you know, servicing boilers for fifty years and. You know, but he had a consistent living, which, you know, that's comforting unto itself. But at the same time, you know, what I'm doing, I'm not killing myself over a little heartbreak involved. But, you know, if that's that's all it takes is a little heartbreak, you know, along the way, um, you know, uh, to me, it's the sacrifice. It's a small sacrifice to make to be able to be an artist. You know now, I mean? now, your audition, will it be on tape or in the room? OK, now what's what? Honestly, I think that's changing completely. What's your take on that? What do you like better? Because I get two different ways. People, some people um, are like they love it. This they love that. What What's your personal? Well, what are, What are people saying? Tell me what they're saying. Tell OK, I always bring them up. Ray Abruzzo said if it wasn't for the room, he would have never got cast in The Sopranos because he was, you know, he gave a certain look. Um, Julia Duffy said that she doesn't really like doing the tape. I see stuff on Twitter. People are like, oh, it's just uh, Severio Guerra said. The other day, he said, you know, you sit there, you got to you gotta get the lights right, and this right, and this right. And he said, it's just, it's taking away, like, we're actors. We we don't want to concentrate on a light man or a camera. Like, some people, you know, said, like, Alicia Coppola said her neighbor's like a cameraman. So he comes over and he, he'll shoot it. But what is what is your take on it? Um, so it's funny, you know, I, I know Severia. Uh, you know, that you just mentioned, it's very Guerra. Did you have him on the show recently? Yeah, just uh, last week. Okay. Um, so, uh, my take is, um, I don't really, you know, setting up the camera and the light, it's, you know, I mean, I shoot it in the same spot every time. I literally shoot it in my, my hallway. Um, you know, and, uh, so that's not a problem. I got that down to a science now. You know what I mean? It, it was an adjustment. So what I, the positives are that, you know, you do as many takes as you want, obviously, you know what I mean? You do it at your own leisure and you do it when you're ready. Uh, you know, so, so that's an incredible positive to me. And it's a little bit more like filming a show when you film a show, you know, you don't get one or two takes, you know, if you're nervous, you don't get one or two takes, you get multiple takes, you know what I mean? It's not, so auditions always Auditions always struck me as weird, even testing. Testing certainly did. Testing is when an actor tests for a series, for those of you uh, at home that don't know. Basically, every TV show that gets made, there's a pilot episode. The pilot episode has actors, um, you know, you know, basically go in for the role to play the series regular role that's going to be there for many years to come. And usually they get it narrowed down to three guys for the one role. And then you go in front of the network and test for it. Um live there'll be like 30 or 40 network executives in a room and you literally sign your contract before you go in the room for seven years not stressful at all um you know you know that if the show's the next friends it could be life-changing literally um and that is like the golden egg for every actor is getting to test for a pilot and that pilot becoming a hit that's the gateway to all your dreams coming true uh, and they expect you to be calm and relaxed in that situation. <laughs> so I've never understood testing at all because that is counterintuitive to what an actor is supposed to be feeling on a set. And an actor on a set with a good director is uh, making them feel calm and relaxed because uh, a relaxed actor is usually a good actor. A stressed actor, a nervous actor, a worried actor, an insecure actor is usually not going to be performing to the best of his ability. That's why 
Clint Eastwood doesn't say uh, action. Uh, apparently, his his line is uh, uh, and begin something like that. He says he yells. Is that it? Is he, have you heard this? Yeah. About what does he say and begin? Is I'm not it? sure, but I've I've heard that he's okay. just very chill. The reason why he says that, or maybe it was Robert Redford, one of them. The reason why they say that is they say actors are like horses. You don't want to scare the horses. Action, you know, you know, it scares the horses, you know. So um, you want them to feel relaxed and calm, and, and then you can perform the best of your ability. Um, and so when I do it at home, I'm, you know, pretty freaking relaxed. Now, granted, even when I go in front of casting offices, I'm pretty relaxed too, especially now after all these years, and, you know. And 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 so the negative part is that for someone like me, that I believe I'm pretty good in a room. Um, you know, I'm comfortable with myself and that's helpful. So when you go in a room, you know, I'm not getting to go in a room anymore to meet these producers and directors. And, uh, and I think a lot of the times I would get jobs is because they would say, Oh, that guy seems normal. He's not a fucking maniac. He seems like he's going to be a pro. He's going to show up on set on time. And he's not, and it's somebody I might want to hang out with and have a beer afterwards. Right. That's all you want. You know, you don't, you don't want, you don't want somebody that's going to like make your set have drama, make your set, you know, be a prima donna, you know, make your set and be stressed out. You just want someone that's going to show up to their job and go the fuck home. So I think me not going for me personally, not going in the room, I think that kind of works against me a little bit. Um, uh, but, uh, you know, I mean, there's, there's, you know, there's pluses and minuses. I think at the end of the day, to me, it's probably more important that the actual acting is, is at the best of its ability. Uh, so I think a self tape um, for me creates that um, that 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 final product that I, I like better. You know what I mean? Than than going in an audition. Now, do you think you're good? One of the reasons why you're good in the room is because you were a singer in a band, and when you're a singer in a band, you have to really. I mean, the lead singer has to control a room. Because if you go up and you yeah. see, people always go, oh, David Lee Roth was great. Because David Lee Roth's voice wasn't that great. But if you watched him, he commanded the room and just yeah, jumped yeah. around. Do you think that helps you, that that part of your career and that background helps you that you sit there and go, I've been in front of people. I've had to belt out a song. I've been in bar rooms where no one's fucking listening. They're sitting with their backs turned, you know, playing that damn Pac-Man game. Do you think that has helped? I certainly think when I was younger it did. So, in other words... You know, when I was playing in bands from 23 to 37, I think that muscle that I was using all the time translated in front of people, 100%. And if you're the first person that's ever asked me this question, it's a great question. Um, I love this question because I've never thought about it myself. I've never even thought that. It's like, it's, I'm like, wow, that's, that's a really interesting question. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I think that playing music definitely helped my acting, especially in the room, Steve. That's, that's fucking, that's amazing. You know, like, you know because I, I was, so, you know, being up on stage, you're ballsy, you don't give a fuck, you have a fuck you attitude, and but you're friendly and commanding the room, you know what I mean? And so, yeah, I, um, I, um, I definitely think uh, that was helpful. Um, and now, you know, now I guess the difference is, uh, as a dad, you have to command the room. <laughs> now my new version of being a guy in a band is a dad with three kids i gotta command that room half the time i'm not commanding it let's be honest well, well you have the, you have the three kids now you were just back in new york and you were shooting my yeah. mrs my and you, yeah. t- you took the family with you what's it like when you take the family with you to the city where you're from 
and you're working, but you probably want to show your kids around. I mean, is that hard to balance it? Like, you know, saying, oh, no, they came out. I shot the first episode before they came. So I shot that out before they came. And then when they and then the second episode I did, I was only I only had to be there for two days and they had left. So I, I fit them in in between. So they came for like two weeks. So I shot the first episode. The first week I was there, they hung, we hung out for two weeks. And then they laughed. They left. And then I shot the last two, last, uh, the, the third episode that I was on this season. Um, and uh, so, you know, I mean, same thing as home. The only difference was we were all in a hotel room with one bed and five kid, five people <laughs> sleeping in one bed in a cot. Uh, it was tight. Uh, but we had a good time. Now, you know what show I liked you on? And I, I sent you a message on Facebook when you were shooting it. I think it started off as a small role. It was The Fix, where you, you, oh, played, yeah. you, you played a yeah. real creep. And, yeah, yeah, and, yeah. But you, 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 when I sent you that message, you seemed to imply that that started off as a, a very small part and it grew. Um, well, they know. I mean, I knew what it was going to be when I got it. So it wasn't like, um, wasn't like it's, you know, like it started out small in the first episode, like, First episode, I literally said nothing, but I knew that my character was the stalker. So we always knew where it was going. Uh, that show, <laughs> so, uh, so that show, the first episode, I was basically a. I learned what it was like to be a background actor in that first episode because um, I was in. I shot like for four days. But they had all these scenes in the hallway, and I was playing this like this security guy, and I was always in the background of the shot. And you know, and you know, not for nothing, it's, it's like not you know, like I've never you know, like if I'm if I'm acting in it, I'm in the scene usually. You know what I mean? Like you know, and so I was like, you know, the first day I was there, I was like, oh, like I knew what I signed on for. I knew that I was going to be the, like it's going to get revealed down, you know, by the end of the season. Like oh shit, that's the stalker, the fucking guy that checks her in every day, you know. Like, and uh, but um, the first the first few days I was there, I was like, Jesus, this is a lot of standing around doing nothing, you know. Like I was bored out of my mind. But after that, it's so funny in this business; it'll always teach you. Because like, I shadowed on NCIS LA last year uh, for directing, and um, and and so one of the great things about shadowing and or, or directing is is that you really learn every single person's job. You know what I mean? Uh, you know, you don't need to know how to do it. You just need to know really what it is everybody's doing. And you wind up getting like a, such a deeper um, sense of, uh, you know, putting somebody else, putting your, you know, self in somebody else's shoes, uh, a deeper sense of like what it is they do, but also like how many hours they're actually working, these crew guys, like, as an actor, you get up on set. Some days you do do 12, 15, 16 hours, right? But unless you're Ali McBeal, you're most likely not going to be doing that every day. But the crew guys are doing that every day on sets. They're, they're working as hard, if not harder, than like my dad, who was a heating contractor. Because my dad worked 10 hours, right? He worked 10 hours a day. Hard 10 hours, 10 hours a day. Crew guys are in there for like 15 hours, 16 hours. So like the one thing, you know, so I had this, all this empathy for those guys when I shadowed, but then I, you know, I didn't really ever understood what it was like to be a background actor. Right. You know what I mean? And, and so to be a background artist, it was like, I, I, I have a newfound deep, meaningful respect for them after doing that part. And that just in that first episode, because for four days straight, 
I was just standing in one spot for 10 hours a day. And I was like, oh, this is like being a real security guard, you know, like, <laughs> you know, like, um, and, uh, you know, and I, you know, for me, my brain just, you know, I, like if that was my, for me, I could never do that job on a regular basis. I would just, I would get fired pretty quickly. Now, what was it like? Cause you got beat up and you got killed on that show. Yeah. What is it like when you're, when you're getting punched around, you know, is it, is it, did the, do you have to train for that? You know, you do your fight rehearsal, you know, and, I mean, you know, you do the whole fight rehearsal, fight sequence. And usually you do it, like, on the set on the day, unless it's, like, you know, like, Arrow. Or, like, when I did Watchmen, I did a lot of HBO Watchmen um, episode last year. Um, and uh, uh, one of my favorite parts recently, it was really, you know, a fun role. But there was this whole action sequence that... I get beat up by like the, the hero of it and, uh, um, and, um, and thrown over a table and it's this whole thing. But what was wild about that show was five days before I went in, they sent me a full film version of the actual fight with another actor playing my part, but filmed. So they, they, you know, they have, they have enough money in that budget to film the version, but not, I'm not talking like a guy with a video camera saying here and here, it was filmed, legit filmed and, <laughs> and shot for shot. So I got to watch that to know what I was going to have to do. And then we rehearsed it, you know, and they have the stunt guys do like the biggest parts, but for the most part, I did like 80% of it myself. And then like, you know, the other parts that were like a little crazier because they don't want to, you know, fuck up the actor. Um, pre-shooting, they pulled in the other guy, um, uh, the stuntman, um, and and you know those guys earn every every freaking penny stuntman. I, that's that's a, another gig. That's you know, <laughs> you know those guys have to do a new have to do an. I'm sorry, that series over there with Bochco, you know those those poor guys, you know working in 115 degree weather and just jumping off shit and getting explosion. I mean, like just like. I mean, you know, it's a good, it's a fun living if you love it. You don't know, but my God, that's a, that's a tough gig too. You know, well, NCIS LA, your character has grown. I mean, you've, you've been, and the best, one of the best lines, because I was watching it with my wife one night is when he calls you little ponytail man or something like that, which crack, and then he calls you Duran Duran, which just cracked me up. I mean, there's shit like that just makes me laugh, but your role, you were originally, you were like a nemesis to them in the beginning, right? Like you were, I mean, how did that whole role create? Did you know what you were signing up for when you got on or did you think it was a one and done? Um, I, I, you know, I, I, I knew it was recurring. I knew that we would be in it more than, uh, um, uh, you know, than one episode. Cause Scott or Scott Gemmel, Scott Gemmel, um, who worked on ER uh, as a young writer, producer at that time. Um, he and I started on ER together in the same year. So, and, and we hit it off over the years and became buddies. And then, uh, you know, 10 years later, he called me up or whatever it was, 15, you know, 15 years later, he said, Hey, you know, I'm doing NCIS LA. I got a character that I think you'd be good, good for that I'm writing. I think I, I want you to play it. And I said, cool. And he said, you know, it'll probably be in a couple episodes, you know, something like, I don't know how, how many he said, but I knew it wasn't just one. Um, and I said, great. And, uh, you know, Scott's writing, he wrote a lot of my character stuff on, on ER too, Malucci. He was, Scott's very 
talented writer and kind of very prolific writer. He writes a lot of episodes of TV on NCIS and ER, and he's the showrunner on NCIS LA now for years. And uh, but he he has a great kind of dark sense of humor. I'm not. I think Kyle Haramoto. Uh, uh, um, he wrote that the line you're referring to, um, uh, and he's also a very funny writer too. Uh, um, but uh, you know, Pony t- Little Ponytail Man, Kyle wrote that episode. I think, I'm pretty sure he wrote that line because <laughs> it feels like his. Line. He co-wrote it on uh, that episode, but th- pretty sure that was his line. Um, and the funny thing is that whole uh, ponytail thing was I was you know it was the coronavirus was happening and I was just like let me grow the my hair out a little on top and and my character usually has shorter hair on it so I called up Scott when he told me you know, I got a, you know I got a, like an email saying oh you got some episodes coming up of NCIS I said cool um, and they don't write the episodes they kind of outline it you know usually when they give the actors warning and I called up Scott who I said you know I said hey I just want to let you know I have a little bit of a man bun going um if you want to write it into the script i said um you know have at it you know like if you want to make fun of me like you know tease me all you want let's have so then he took he took that little thing i said to him and just ran with it you know he gave he gave sabatino this whole background that he was a rock singer because scott knows me he knows that i sang in rock band so he knew that i was going to be off to sing the quiet riot song you know that and, and with that kyle wrote you know that episode and and uh and um you know so it worked out great it was like a really fun you know b storyline for the uh for those episodes now as an actor what's that like when you know you might get called back to the show but you're not sure and you're out there auditioning because you work a lot is it yeah, is yeah. it something that is is it ever in the back in your mind like oh shit i'm gonna i'm gonna miss out on on ncis la or do you just say i gotta take whatever no, job i, I usually for me, NCIS LA always pretty much, I try to keep them in first position if there's a conflicting offer for something. It's hard when it's another show that I'm recurring on, like Maisel. Like, so that happened recently with Maisel and NCIS. There was like a little bit of a possible, oh no, sorry. It was a little bit of a possible conflict, but then they figured it out because uh, they have to talk to each other production. Um, but, but what happened was recently I got offered a part on CSI Vegas and it was like a five episode arc. Um, and, uh, and I don't even know how many it could have been down the road. They're doing a reboot of the show and, uh, and it, you know, it would have been nice money and five episodes of TV is five episodes of TV. And I got three kids and I, you know, I, you know, I hate turning down work and, but it always seems in my career, I won't work for three, four months at a time. And then all of a sudden in a two week period, I'll get two to three offers on shows that all conflict with one another and I'll be left with a singular choice and it sucks. But you know, it literally is like I've had to turn down jobs over the years that, you know, it's like weird. My wife and I laugh at this point. They're like, your luck is like, you know, with this stuff is odd. So I just like CSI Vegas, I really wanted to do it, but Maisel, of course I'm going to do Maisel because I've already done, I'm more loyal to the show that I've already done some stuff on. Now, granted, if I hated the people on Maisel, you know what I mean? I'd probably be like, fuck these guys, you know what I mean? And, and, and jump shit. But, you know, and I don't legally have to do the other, sh- you know what I mean? But, um, you know, I, I just, I, it's kind of always been my, um, how I kind of operate through the business. If, if I've done a recurring on a show, I, 
I, uh, you know, there's a conflict from somebody else. I, I, I asked the recurring show to get the first position and to, you know, have the other show work with them. And if they're not willing to work with them, then the other show goes away, basically. What's it like being an actor when you go on an NCIS LA that has been on for a long time? It's a solidified hit. Do you know it's probably going to end when they want it to end? What's it like going? What's the attitude on the set when people aren't sitting there? I've heard sometimes at a show, like, there's rumors might get canceled. Everyone's, the, the producers are, are stressing out because they're like, oh, we don't want to lose this show. What is it like as an actor when you walk in? And also when you're coming back onto a set where it's probably much more like a family. Sorry. Sorry, go ahead. What's it like when you go on a set like that, that it's, it's a matter of, you know, everyone knows each other. You're going to, it must be just a great feeling. It must be make work easier for you. Yeah. I mean, that set in particular is like, it's like a machine. You know what I mean? They really, they really know how to, you know, they, you know, they, they know how to pump out those episodes and everybody gets along really well. Uh, and, and, you know, they, uh, um, you know, it's pretty, it's one of my favorite sets in, that I've ever been on really in all the years I've been doing this, this fucking thing. <laughs> so, you know, like they, uh, they're just really lovely people. And, uh, you know, and the, the series regulars are great. And the producers are awesome. And it's, just, you know, it's a definite second home for me. As far as being on a set where, you know, the show's going to get canceled. I've had that, you know, multiple times over the years. NCIS LA, that, that show's only going to get canceled when those guys want to cancel it. <laughs> um, you know, um, but, um, you know, it sucks. You know, it sucks when you're a series regular on a show and you get the call and, it's, you know, it's not it's not getting picked up anymore. It's the worst. It's like terrible feeling because, you know, you're like, oh, man, you know, especially if you've been, I, you know, the weird thing is I've, you know, I've done six pilots or seven pilots now that haven't been picked up, just thrown in the garbage. Um, and then shows that I've been on that, you know, got canceled while I was on them. It's just a weird, it's like literally someone just came into your house and, and took your furniture. You know what I mean? And you're like, where's my furniture? You know, like, this is my house. You know, like, not anymore, fucker. Keep it moving. You know, like, you know, like, you know. and you're like, okay. You know, so it's, it's real. And when, when you're younger, you know, there's more of a, a sadness, I think, with it. I, you know, I look, would I be sad if I did a seven year run? But I haven't experienced that. I've been, you know, I, I, I um, I've been ridiculously lucky and fortunate to be able to build a life as an artist and have a career in this business and be able to provide for my family. But I've been, you know, uh, I haven't had that, that luck, you know, come through in a, in a series that was lasting yet. Yeah. ER, how did ER come about? I know when we had talked years ago, you said you decided to leave because you didn't feel your part was big enough, but how did, how did you decide was ER an easy cast for you or was it a lot of auditioning because it was a popular show? Um, well, I had, I just finished doing that movie U571 with Matthew McConaughey and Harvey Keitel and John Bon Jovi and Bill Paxton and David Keith and all these wonderful actors and, and you know, and it was a really uh, incredible experience. We shot it in Rome for five months and then Malta for six weeks and, and, uh, and Prior to that, I was doing mostly sitcoms in the business. Just I was a sitcom guy. Murphy Brown, Love and Marriage. In fact, the woman who created Marvelous Mrs. Maisel with her husband, Danny, Dan, Daniel Palladino, uh, Dan Palladino, rather, uh, she cast me in my first sitcom that shot uh, in L.A. So I was always going to stay in New York and be a New York actor, theater actor and stuff. And, but then I got a, a uh, audition for a sitcom that shot in L.A. and 
this woman, Amy Sherman, created it. Tony Dennison played my dad on it. Um, and uh, that's how Tony and I became very good friends, as you know. Um, and uh, and so I, um, I, I moved from New York to L.A. for that series. And she was dating a guy named Palladino at the time. Um, so I did mostly sitcoms and that was a sitcom. It got canceled. That was one of those shows that we got the call for and said it canceled in the middle of the day and everyone had to pack up and pretty much leave. <laughs> we finished, you know, it was pretty, pretty terrible. Um, and, uh, if I recall, we like left, I think that day, or, or I don't know if we shot that episode. Um, and, uh, but then I got U571 a few years later and then I came back and I was back for about a month and, they were re- they were casting a new male doctor on ER at the time, and Clooney had just left the season before to go off and do movies, and and they were looking for I mean that was what was presented to me was they're looking for like a, a you know somebody to kind of fill those shoes a little bit, and uh, and and it was they were looking for two guys I think you know two guys to fill up you know Clooney's shoes four shoes. Four shoes or two shoes. Anyways, you know, and uh, and and so when I auditioned for it, uh, it was uh, you know the character was named Malucci. Apparently, like all these guys were coming in for John Stamos was one of them who inevitably came on the show years later and pretty much you know kind of played the part that he was destined to play on that. Um, and I. Uh, I remember thinking like, wow, this is a big opportunity. You know, uh, it was the number one show in the United States. It was watched by 35 million people a week. You know, there wasn't all these other cable channels, you know, it was like four networks. And, uh, you know, the numbers on that was like double whatever is the highest, what's the highest rated show now? I think it's like whatever, 15 million people a week watched it. So imagine double and more than double, you know, so you know, it was a crazy amount of people that watched it. Um, so I knew it was a big deal, but I never watched an episode prior to that. I think I watched, I think I may have watched the live episode, you know what I mean? Like just to see that, you know what I mean? But I didn't watch an episode, not that I didn't like it. I just didn't, honestly, I didn't really watch a lot of TV at that time. I was playing, you know, in bands and busy going out and living, you know, the bachelor life in Hollywood. Um, so, Initially, it was uh, my first audition. I went in, and it was good. It wasn't great. It was good, but they asked me to come back to like test between me and like two or three other guys, and that's when I like had the more time with the script. You know, like I really, really knew what I was doing. I said, "Oh, okay," and I really kind of committed myself. So when I went back in, there was like I was so well prepared, so well rehearsed that there was zero chance for me to fuck it up. You know, that's that's what's that's what's good about the old days. You used to get an audition on. An audition would come in on a Monday, and the audition wouldn't be until, like, Friday. You'd have three, four days to prepare. Now, the audition comes in on Monday, 10 pages, and it's like, tomorrow's the audition. They want it in by tomorrow. And they're like, but that's that's not how – you're never going to get the best out of your actor. Like, yeah, there's actors that you're going to get that are great at the Cliff Note version, you know, that are awesome in 12 hours. But then there's actors, like, that are fucking amazing much better after they have the material for four days thinking about researching the character understanding the character you know making choices this is you know the difference between you know I mean fucking Daniel Day-Lewis doesn't come in I'm not saying I'm Daniel Day-Lewis but he doesn't come in and <laughs> fucking you know be you know you know the, 
you know, like, you know, doing, you know, my left foot, you know, the next day, you know, like, you know, you know, I mean, you know, like, you know, he's, he's going to be, you know, he's, it's not going to be a good look, you know, he can't just pull that off in a 12 hour period. So anyway, I wound up having more time with the material and came in, you know, chomping at the bit to, you know, do what I wanted to do. And, and I got it, but it was five episodes initially with the option to make you a regular. So even then, it was another test. So I um, tested, you know, I got the part, got on set, and did what I did. And it went well enough that they said, we want to make you a regular. And, you know, the rest was history. I just, you know, I stayed there for another two and a half years. Um, and for me, in retrospect, there's many, many times in my life I've said, ah, if I stayed on that show for four more, five, six more years, who knew that show was going to last for another five, six more years? Had I stayed on that show five, six more years, I would have been, you know, past, past the two and a half years I was there. I definitely would have had a lot more money than I have now. Um, but I probably never would have met my wife. I uh, wouldn't be the actor I am today. Um, during those years that I, wouldn't have been there. I played significant different amounts of roles and, you know, a varied kind of career. And I, you know, I did that series over there about soldiers in Iraq, which different roles change you as an actor. You know, how did like, that change you? How did that change you? Um, I guess a deeper sense, uh, a deeper belief in, in myself that I could pretty much play any part, not just the New York Italian cute guy, but you know what I mean? Which is what the business kind of, put me in that box initially. Now, when I look at roles, especially as I get older, I'm becoming more of a character actor. And I think that had I stayed on ER, I think I would have relied on a lot more tricks as opposed to what I do now, which I have a bag of tricks. We all do. Um, but now I, uh, you know, I, I, I don't, I'm, I'm, I'm not as, I'm not afraid to play pretty much any role. Uh, they may not give me the opportunity to play like, you know, an English guy in the Elizabethan period, you know what I mean? But, uh, but I could play it with, with research and work and with, a, you know, with a, with a good dialect coach, I could do it, you know? And, and, and I think that period of time for me, you know, I, I learned that had I stayed in the one role, cause that's what, you know, TV, series regular TV is. You stay in the one role for seven years, Right, but when you become a you know character actor and you earn your stripes, you're playing varied roles, and not always the same guy. The thing that I pride myself on most is if I sh looked at my career up to this point, I don't play the same part every time, right? And you know, you you, you, know, you mentioned like the fix. I played a creepy guy, you know what I mean? And it's not always like the New York Italian guy, right? You know, on Maisel, I'm doing it. You know what I mean? I'm doing a little bit of that. But when I got in this business, when I started, I didn't, I really didn't, you know, want to always be playing the New York Italian guy, you know, and also I'm half Armenian. People don't even think of me as Armenian. You know what I mean? They don't realize how, you know, I had, you know, such a uh, uh, strong relationship with my Armenian side, especially as I've gotten older over the years. And especially as I moved to Southern California and Glendale, and a lot of my friends are Armenian, uh, you know, growing up in New York, people didn't know I was, uh, you know, what Armenian was, you know, but I went to Armenian school when I was a kid. You, you know, know, you know, it's, it's funny you say that because I lived in Burbank and, you know, growing up in Cherry Hill, New Jersey, I didn't know what Armenia was. And a friend of mine from college named George Demersian 
was Armenian. I didn't know. I knew him in college. And then years later, when I when I found him on Facebook, I was like, Demersian. I'm like, oh my god! I said, dude, you're Armenian. He goes, yeah. He's like, yeah. There, there was none of us back. He goes, there's none of us back here. I mean, it, no one really knew. And the funny thing is, the Italian culture, Armenian culture, very similar. You know what I mean? They're very much a little bit like. Uh, that's why, like, my wife's got family. She's Chinese, uh, but she's got Hawaiian roots because they first immigrated to to Hawaii. Her family, and uh, and, and I have like an affinity for Hawaii and. Uh, Hawaiians and that kind of tribal kind of community. And that's sort of like what the Armenians are like with other Armenians and the Italians are like with other, you know, there's this kind of tribal, like, you know, I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm married to an Italian. I know. I know. Yeah, you know what I mean? Like, and, <laughs> and we're real proud of our uh, heritage and our culture and our history. Um, and uh, so, yeah, I mean, I think that the, those years that I, I, you know, uh, you know, and I'm, you know, hindsight's, you know, it's kind of a waste of time, you know what I mean, most of the time. Uh, but, you know, when I do look back on it, you know, there was a period of time when I was like struggling for money. I think that that's the only time I look back on that period. I'm like, ah, man, if I stayed, I would have had like a lot of money in the bank, you know, but I can't complain. I got a nice life. I got a beautiful house and I got a beautiful wife. I got beautiful kids. And, and so whenever I have that little moment, I'm like, I, all of that would be changed, right? If you go back and try to change, all that's different. You know, like had I stayed on there, I probably would have married some crazy actress. Right. <laughs> not that all actresses are crazy. There's actors that are crazy too. I'm, like, I'm just saying, you know, like, no, no, don't, it, don't send me letters. Don't send me letters. You, you, met, you mentioned Mitz uh, Manziel. What, what is it like shooting that? Because it just, it just looks like, I, my wife watches it all the time. It just looks like a fun show. And, and the first, you kidnap someone in the first, scene right yes uh alex borstein's character now what's it to work with her because you know she was in a show on uh i mean everyone knows from you know her other you know the voice work but she was on a show on hbo and she was moving what was it called getting on getting on and she was great what's it like working with her because she's just a who she was on mad tv too right yeah she's uh, um she's you know she comes from a you know strong comedy background um and, uh, you know, a lot of, you know, not that she improvises on that set, but there's a sense with her work that it feels like she's improvising, you know what I mean? Even though she's not, she's sticking to that script pretty, uh, pretty well, you know, um, kind of word perfect. But uh, I love working with her. She's, she's a phenomenal actress. I mean, I've been so lucky over the years, you know what I mean? Get, get into work with, you know, you know, James Earl Jones, I did that movie Finder's Fee with him and Ryan Reynolds and Matthew Lillard and Dash Myhock, all incredible actors. Um, you know, the Carvey Keitel and Alex Borst, I mean, you know, the girl from Maze, like, I just, you know, I feel so, when I sometimes look back on it, you know, the one thing that, you know, I'll always be grateful for is I've never worked with an asshole. Everybody's always been very nice. Never, I've never had a moment where I've gone, wow, what a fucking, you know, terrible person. And, you know, how, how, uh, how did they get in this position? And, uh, I've worked with some whack jobs, you know, but I've never had someone, and usually the more talented they've been, the, the nicer and cooler they are. So, you know, Alex is, you know, very, very, very cool. She's ornery. She's ornery, but not like, you know, not like, 
towards you, just like kind of, she has that dark, dry, ornery, you know, sense of humor. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, and if you're, you know, kind of a, uh, uh, I'm, I'm sure if you're, you know, if you're, you're, a um, um, a kind of, a shy person, you might not know how to handle that, you know what I mean? But I, you know, I'm not that shy. So, um, I, I got, I got two more questions for you and we'll wrap up. One, what was it like working with Bon Jovi? Because you were a musician, and then you're working with Bon Jovi, who at the time was it was hair metal. You were heavy metal. I'm sure heavy metal guys said, you know, oh, Bon Jovi. I'm not from New Jersey, and I'm like, you know, I'm tired of Bon Jovi. But what was it like working with him? Because you were a musician, and there he was a rock star. I mean, a rock star. It, it was crazy. Uh, it wasn't hair metal at that time, though. It was grunge metal. Music changed. It was 99 we shot okay. it. So hair metal had been over for 10 years. Huh? Uh, you know, since, you know, like, when Nirvana hit 90, right, it changed overnight. Um, you know, so my brother, who I played with, his band was, he was in a band called Tour de Force in the 80s. Um, and, you know, incredible band, uh, one of the most popular bands on the East Coast. And he finally got the big record deal with Geffen in the late 80s. And, uh, and then uh, my brother was a guitar player and songwriter. And then they got dropped like pretty much right when Nirvana hit, they finally got the big record deal in like 89, 90 and the album was going to come out. And then Nirvana smells like teen spirit comes out. And then, you know, their band, their album only comes out in like Europe, you know, and they eventually, you know, get dropped. And, and, uh, and then I subsequently played in grunge bands with my brothers and my brother, the same brother in the nineties. And we were real good. We used to play all over and came close to getting signed. So it was like a big part of my life. Uh, so when I worked with John in 99, you know, it's still like, I was very still much attached to my music. You know, I had long hair up until 95. So, you know, I didn't start working as an actor until a week after I cut my hair, I cut my hair and I started, I got that series love and marriage that Amy Sherman created. Um, I don't know if I ever told her that. Um, and, uh, and so, so when I worked with John, it was first night I was in Italy in Rome. I knew he was going to be in it and I knew we were going to be spending six months together in a fucking submarine in a, you know, the 10 foot by 30 foot, you know, tube, you know, uh, and, um, you know, one room, the main, the main, uh, uh, the engine room, not the engine room, the uh, control room. And the first night he's there at this little hotel, Hotel di Molini in Rome and two other guys, three other guys that we flew in and we're like hanging out in the lobby and I'm like, I'm hanging out in the lobby of a hotel in Rome with John Bon Jovi, and I'm going to be here for another six months, and I'm 29 years old, and I'm Italian, and I'm in my home country, uh, my one of my two home countries, and and this is fucking magical. Uh, this is an amazing, amazing moment. And I was a huge fan of John's too, and I did not tell him, um, but I didn't tell him right away. You know what I mean? I, didn't, I was like, hey, you know, like you know, uh, at that point, he was an actor on the set. And, you know, and I needed to, you know, just, you know, make sure that it wasn't just, you know, I had to work with the guys. So I had to have a certain sense of decorum, you know, professionalism. Um, so we wound up going out to dinner that night and it was me, John and two other actors, Dirk Cheatwood, I believe, and Jack Noseworthy. And uh, and I'm like walking the streets of Rome. You know, a kid from Yonkers, New York, you know, that used to, his ex, his girlfriend, when I was 16, he used to have posters of John up on her wall. You know, I didn't have any fucking posters of Bon Jovi up on a wall. 
let's be clear. <laughs> but I think it actually says that in my IMDb. I was a huge fan of John Bon Jovi's. I was a big fan of his, but I was also like, I, I liked the harder stuff too at the time, like Queensryche and Metallica and, you know, Iron Maiden. And, you know, I, I wasn't necessarily a hair metal guy, uh, but I did have big hair at one point in the 80s. Um, but, you know, he was gracious and cool and down to earth and kind and open and open to learning and knew that he was like in, you know, out of his comfort zone because he was, you know, he wasn't like an actor like I was. I'd been doing it. I was 29, but I started when I was 13. So, you know, not professionally, but I started studying when I was 13. So he was in, he was in our, our comfort zone, you know? So, and, and he, what was nice about him, it wasn't like he overcompensated, you know, he was vulnerable within that. And I thought that was pretty fantastic. Um, and he hung out with us, like just one of the guys he'd hang out, with, you know, so the next four or five months we became friends. And one of the, in fact, one of the awesome things he did was I told him my brother, Chris, you know, was, you know, guitar player signed and blah, blah, blah. I said, he, and he was coming to visit me in Rome. I go, would you get together with him at some point? And like, you know, maybe listen to some of his songs, some of his music, maybe, you know, you guys might connect musically. And, uh, and he was like, yeah, I'd do that. And so my brother Chris went to his hotel or his, his apartment that he was staying in and they jammed for a couple hours. He brought his guitar over and they played. Chris said he was very tight and nervous. You know, I think he was very tight and nervous. He wasn't at his best that day. But, uh, but you know, it was very nice of John to do that. Well, that's awesome, man. Uh, one more question. What's what, what's coming up for you? What do you have? You have the audition tomorrow, but any <laughs> anything coming up soon? Well, i tell you what's coming up. I want all your fans to call the people over at uh, Hulu. <laughs> no, and say cast Eric in this new show. Uh, no, um, I uh, I have a couple. Of, I have a Marvelous Mrs. Maisel's new seasons coming out, and I'm in I'm in about half the season this year, which is nice. Um, and then you know, uh, there's a couple of things on the burner. I don't know if I told you, I've been writing a lot, and, you know, creating content, and so right now we're um, there's a show that I co-created that we shot in Rwanda a few years ago. Uh, that um, there's some interest and uh, hopefully uh, it's called Volunteers or Rwandan Comedy. The name might change, but uh, hopefully we'll we'll get a deal with one of the uh, streamers and, and this will be a show that I star in and, you know, one of the co-creators of. Well, that's awesome, man. I want to thank you for coming on. Uh, people, go check out Eric Palladino. You know, you're on Instagram, right? I am, yeah, at Eric Palladino. And are, are you on Twitter? You don't I tweet, am. You don't tweet I, much, though, do you? I, I, I don't tweet as much as I used to, but uh, People, but I still throw it out there a little bit. Go follow Eric Palladino. Eric Palladino. Go go to his IMDb. Watch all his stuff. Tell your people about Eric Palladino. Tweet at Hooter. I mean, to Hulu. We love Eric Palladino. And all he's worth. <laughs> and uh, people, check out my website, coopertalk.net. You can find 860 episodes up there. Uh, email me, cooper, coopertalk.net. Twitter, at coopertalk. Instagram, coopertalk1. Remember, I'm Steve Cooper. I'm only as hip as my guests. Don't forget, drink your water, eat your vegetables, take your vitamins, and I'll talk to you guys next time.